Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to As a Woman, episode 87, 24 with breast cancer. Today, I'm sharing Savannah's story, and I'm talking about what it means to be a young woman diagnosed with breast cancer, faced with losing not only your life, but all your hopes and dreams. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hey friends, welcome back. Today I'm sharing Savannah's story. So Savannah is a real life patient of mine who I took care of a couple years ago, and she's given me permission to share her story. She was a patient who impacted me profoundly. She came to see me at age 24 after being diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And that was a lot to handle. She navigated her cancer diagnosis and her journey to freeze her eggs with such grace and wisdom well beyond her years that I was immediately impressed by her and she just sealed a special place in my heart. I truly love taking care of patients with cancer and helping them with their fertility It's called Oncofertility for people who don't know, and that's where we work to help women and men preserve their option to have children in the future because cancer treatments can significantly impact or impair the ability for you to have children. And this means that men and women who get diagnosed with cancer are faced with impossible decisions all at once. Now, I asked Savannah some questions and she answered them and she shared videos and parts of her story that are on this week's YouTube video. So if you haven't seen the YouTube video from this week or you've never subscribed to the YouTube channel, this is now my own push to get you to go over there because I cried watching her relive some of these moments and I just think that it is something to hear from the person who experiences it and really frames how we address cancer and how isolating it is in our society. But the YouTube channel is Natalie Crawford, MD. It is the episode that was just released, so it's highlighted on my page right now. But if you're not there, it's 24 and breast cancer. So go look for it. It is really profound, in my opinion. Savannah is also on Instagram at Savannah Marie underscore MBC, metastatic breast cancer. That's what the MBC stands for. So this is real life stuff. In this episode, I'm talking about Savannah's story, the intersection of fertility and cancer what we do to preserve your fertility and what it means, 
and how politics are letting us down. Maybe that's a common theme right now, but it's part of the story. Savannah first came to me at age 24, and when cancer patients get referred in, I always overbook them. So I normally book out for fertility patients about four to six weeks. So if you called right now and tried to get in to see me, it would be tough. But if you call in and you say, hey, I just got breast cancer and I want to see Dr. Crawford, I'm going to get you in in the next couple days because time is of the essence. This is another place where being a man or having male gametes, so having testes, is just so much easier. For somebody to freeze sperm, you just ejaculate and then we can freeze sperm. It is that simple. I've taken care of male patients who have a really acute cancer diagnosis and need chemotherapy right away, but because it is relatively easy to just get sperm into a cup and freeze it, they're able to even undergo this in a single day, even when they're admitted to the hospital. And that's not the story for women. So women, as you know, our gametes or our eggs live inside our ovaries. Our ovaries are inside our body. And our eggs live in an immature state. Unlike sperm that constantly matures inside the body, one egg matures a month, and that's the egg that you're going to ovulate. So if we want to preserve your fertility, we don't just want the one egg if we happen to be at the right time of your month. We want to preserve as many options as possible. And so what we're doing is IVF or egg freezing. Remember that they're essentially the same as far as what the woman goes through. You have to take shots to grow your eggs. So those are FSH injections or follicle stimulating hormone. FSH is what stimulates normally one follicle or one egg to grow, but we use them in much higher doses to try to get all the eggs that are outside the vault to grow. For cancer, this is just a one-time shot. So you really do not have the luxury of saying, I'm going to get the eggs from this month and next month and two months from now, because we emergently do egg freezing or embryo freezing prior to chemotherapy or surgery or cancer treatment. So chemo is what usually impacts us the most. This means, let's just really think about this. This means that you are getting a cancer diagnosis, yet must decide if you are going to save your fertility for the future before you start treatment. It is a whirlwind of experience. So that process takes two weeks. It doesn't take one single day, but it doesn't take two months either. I need two weeks before you can start your treatment. So am I delaying the start of your chemotherapy? I am. I'm delaying your cancer treatment in order to preserve the ability for you to have a child later. That's a big deal. And this is why getting you into the office as soon as possible is essential. One of the top barriers to care is that patients aren't getting referred. They are not having fertility brought up to them. They are unaware of the impact chemotherapy or radiation may have on their ability to have a child in the future. Therefore, they're not even given the choice. If you know me, you know I am all about the choice. I don't care what you choose. To be honest, it's your life. If you come and sit in front of me and we talk about cancer and freezing your eggs and all your options, and you say, I'm going to not do it. I'm going to just survive my cancer. And if I am in ovarian failure afterward, I can adopt or use donor eggs and I'm okay with that. Fabulous. You then made the choice instead of having cancer take the choice from you. And if you don't think that's a big deal, then you're missing how much is stolen from cancer patients. And by giving one thing to them for them to make an actual decision on, that's a really big deal. So getting somebody in front of me that's essential. When I have cancer doctors call me, oncologists call, 
oh, here's this patient, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. But they're not going to do egg freezing. I just know they're not. So it's probably a waste of your time. I'm sweet as pie. But every time I say the same thing, please, please send them to me. Let me see them. Let me talk to them. Let me give them the choice. And then if they choose not to go forward, that's fine. And I'll have documented it. And you will know that you talk to them about everything and that they had the choice. But I never take an oncologist telling me, I don't think they're going to do anything. So it's a waste of your time. I don't take it seriously. So there was a study done at UNC. So that's where I did my fellowship. And it was looking at barriers to care for fertility preservation. In of reproductive age women, so women age 20 to 45, who could be candidates to preserve their fertility, only 25% of them were referred to fertility doctors. 25%, one out of four. That means three out of four were not. They weren't even given the choice. There was not even documentation talked to about chemotherapy, impacting fertility, and declines to go. Nothing. They weren't sent on. They weren't given the choice. That boggles my mind. So that shows one, awareness needs to happen both at the level of the providers, so whoever is counseling them, whether it's a nurse navigator or an oncologist, and number two, at the level of the patient. The other thing that this study showed us is that there's a huge discrepancy in racial and ethnic groups and who gets referred in. White women were two times as likely as black women to be referred for fertility preservation, and no Hispanic women in the entire study were referred on. So I don't know why. Maybe this was providers making presumptions about who would be able to afford or choose to go through treatment. Maybe it was that women of other ethnic or minority groups were diagnosed at more advanced stages, and practitioners presume that because of the more advanced stage of their disease, they shouldn't preserve their fertility without giving the patients the choice. I don't have the answer there, but I think that's very alarming as to subconscious or even conscious or racism and bias that healthcare providers have and how it can impact patients. So we start to look at why patients of different groups have different outcomes. Look at this right here. Another thing was that women with gynecologic cancer, so breast, uterine, ovary, were much more likely to have this discussed or be referred than women with other types of cancer. I don't know if this is just that the providers who take care of female-based cancers are more used to talking about things such as breast, uterus, vagina. So talking about freezing eggs or embryos isn't more normal part of the discussion or what it is. But no matter what, there's definitely discrepancy in who gets referred. And if it's up to me, if you're a reproductive age woman or man, it should be a checkbox on the list oh, you have cancer, here's all the things we have to do. One of them is talk to the fertility doctor about preserving your options for the future. I do not understand why we are seeing these differences. Everybody deserves the choice. Of course, I'm extremely biased. This is what I do for a living. But giving somebody the ability to have a child in the future, or at least the hope of a child, the hope of a future, that in of itself is extremely impactful. Savannah was 24 when she got diagnosed with breast cancer. She first noticed a lump in the shower. So she was in the shower, noticed something abnormal, and went to go see a doctor. Quickly was scheduled for an ultrasound and then had a biopsy on a Friday and received a cancer diagnosis on a Tuesday. A couple things that this brings to me is one, holy cow, if I had been 24 and felt a lump in my breast, I would have completely ignored it for way too long. I can't even 
tell you how much denial I would have been in about that situation. So I think the fact that she said, this is not normal, and I'm going to go see the doctor immediately, that's how we should all be. We all should be advocates for our health and not be afraid to go get diagnosis that may really stink and change our whole world. But you don't know what you don't know, and you can't make decisions on things you don't know. So I've always been so proud that she noticed that right away. I also think it's really important to say that knowing your own breasts, whether it's self-breast exam per se, or just feeling your own breast tissue, there's nothing wrong with that. Understanding what's normal so that you can understand what's not normal, that's important. Yes, is a breast lump in a 24-year-old typically cancer? No, but can it be? Certainly. So please know what is normal so you can know what is not. Mammogram screening, there's some controversy on screening guidelines based on different associations. So I think as a patient or a consumer, that in of itself doesn't make this any easier. But to put it simply, getting mammograms starting at age 40 is a pretty rough estimate. If you're at high risk, so if you have a cancer syndrome or genetic cancer syndrome in your family, if you carry BRCA1 or 2 or someone in your family does... Or if you have a family member who's been diagnosed with breast cancer at an early age, then those are reasons to consider earlier screening at age 30, possibly with MRIs and ultrasounds. But you should talk to your doctor and have a good preventive strategy. So not just a, I'm going to wait and see what happens. Oh, I read 40 somewhere, so I'm going to ignore it. No, you need to understand your risk. You need to talk to a doctor about it. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word for one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. 
With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. After Savannah's diagnosis, she went to an oncologist and her oncologist was talking to her about treatments and ordered some tests. And she asked him about fertility, about freezing her eggs, because she knew from her research that chemotherapy could have an impact on her eggs. And her oncologist told her that that wasn't something they need to focus on right now. So here is an, I mean, I'm furious hearing those words. I was furious the first time she told me and I get mad all over again. Can you imagine somebody actually ask? It's one thing to just avoid. Oh, you have so many things to cover. Oh, you're focused on survival. But here is a young 24-year-old woman who wants to be a mom who asks and gets shut down. That's not important. That is extremely paternalistic right there. Somebody else making the decision on what's right for a young woman. No. Luckily, Savannah decided to go get another opinion and went to MD Anderson, where she had an amazing treatment team there. They actually determined her initial oncologist had staged her wrong. They reordered tests. And that is when she truly found out that she had metastatic breast cancer, that her cancer had spread to areas outside just the breast. This is a crushing, devastating diagnosis for anybody, but especially for somebody so young. And she knew because of this that the treatment she was going to be getting was going to be extremely aggressive, that in order to survive, they were going to have to hit this cancer with everything that she had. But she still knew that if she survived, she wanted to be a mom, and she didn't want to give that up. And this oncologist encouraged her to pursue egg freezing. And so Savannah ended up in my office, and it's really hard to have a patient this young with such an aggressive cancer diagnosis. But when you look at her, and she's so full of life and commitment, and I'm talking about pros and cons and statistics, she said, I'm so glad you're giving me all this information so that I can make good decisions. I'm so happy to learn how my body works, but I'm doing this. I want to be a mom one day, or I want the best chance I can to have my own genetic child. So I'm not letting cancer take that from me. What a statement. What a statement. So chemotherapy is one of the few things that can go into that vault inside the ovary and decrease the number of eggs you have. The standard chemotherapy, which we call AC for breast cancer, results in about 20% of women having no eggs remaining or essentially being in menopause after treatment. So just think of that. 20%, one out of five women with breast cancer who enters into treatment who's of reproductive age will end their chemotherapy journey in ovarian failure. 
and menopause. Nothing we can do at that stage to help you have a genetic child. You can sometimes carry a child, but this is where breast cancer is even worse. Depending on the stage of the disease, the type of the cancer, if it's sensitive to estrogen or not, there are often women who get breast cancer diagnoses who are put on medications to prevent their cancer recurrence that make it impossible for them to carry a child in the future. So breast cancer not only can harm your eggs, but sometimes the medications to prevent it from coming back or because of the sensitivity of the cancer, the high estrogen state of pregnancy makes it too dangerous. So now we have a group of women who are going to lose eggs, but they may also lose the ability to use donor eggs or embryos in the future and experience at least carrying a pregnancy. So that can be a double whammy. The other thing is, I don't know which 20% of women are going to be impacted. So I can't look at across you and say, oh, well, you're going to be the one out of five. No, I don't have that information. And 20% is a big number. So that means that if I want to prevent you from experiencing this, the safest, most conservative option is going to be to freeze your eggs before you undergo chemotherapy. And it's not a dichotomous option, meaning normal versus ovarian failure. It's not black and white. Everybody else is in the shades of gray. So if you are lucky enough not to go into ovarian failure, you have shifted your whole curve. You still had eggs inside the vault that were impacted. Your number just didn't go down to zero. But now you have DOR or diminished ovarian reserve. And you are going to go into menopause earlier and have higher rates of infertility because of cancer. So it's not like, oh, great, my periods came back, so now I'm fine. It's better than being in menopause. But certainly now we still need to look at what does that mean for you and how old are you and when do you start your family? So it's not a guarantee that your fertility is not going to be impacted just because you had your periods come back and you weren't in menopause from your cancer immediately. So this brings us back to time. Fertility doctors need to get patients in immediately in order to see them and counsel them and get medications and get a calendar and get treatment started. It's going to take us about two weeks to get those eggs to grow and then to undergo the egg retrieval, and then you can start chemo afterward. This means you're giving yourself shots, doing extra appointments, balancing all of that, in addition to probably getting your port placed and making chemo plans, and are you going to have surgery or, or radiation? What is your whole treatment protocol? There's so much to manage at once. It is really overwhelming, but the sooner we can get the process started, the better. The other thing that is really overwhelming is that it costs money. It costs a lot of money. And you are suddenly, if you're a patient, put in this position of needing to decide what to do and if you should do it and how you're going to do it and how you're going to manage it all and how you're going to get to the appointments. And you have to pay a big chunk of money to do it. And we need the money right now, immediately. You don't have a month to go think about it. If you've ever gone through IVF or frozen your eggs or you've known somebody who has, just imagine having two days to make that decision. That is literally what our cancer patients go through. They have to make this big decision that is going to possibly be the only way they will have a family later and they got to make it immediately. There are some programs that can help like Livestrong or Heartbeat or the Alliance for Fertility Preservation. There's different grant options and we try to help patients navigate these different choices right away. However, there's qualifications. Not everybody gets them, or sometimes you literally will make $1,000 too much in a year in order to qualify for this. So now you have to spend tens of thousands of dollars. I have patients who this falls into their shoes all the time. Programs exist, but they're not all encompassing. And our 
current society doesn't put a focus on preserving fertility at all. Fertility treatment's not mandated in most states. It's certainly not in Texas. Nor is fertility care for those with cancer. I went to the Texas State Capitol to help lobby for a bill to mandate coverage for fertility preservation for cancer patients. So that's the baby step in trying to get fertility covered. And it did not pass. It did not pass. There are just people who do not prioritize fertility or the ability to have children. And if you won't cover it for cancer patients, you know you're not going to extend it to the general population. But just imagine what a gift that would be. There are some states that have passed it. Imagine if you could get a cancer diagnosis, but know you were protected and that your insurance plan would cover you to freeze your eggs. What a relief that would be at such a crazy time for you. And I really hope that as a society, we can help push for laws that will help protect people because it's really not fair that only people of a certain race get referred in. It's not fair that these things are so expensive and so You have to choose when you're dealing with so much to spend money on this goal of having a family later. That's the current reality of where we are. I promise we're not trying to spend more money or make money on you. Most of us as fertility clinics have different programs and rates where we aren't making money from cancer patients. It's the bare bones minimum cost to cover overhead in order to try to help people out. But the science and the technology is amazing and it does cost money. Savannah said when she went through egg freezing, it was just a lot. She felt like she was dealing with so much, but that overall the process was easier than she thought, meaning that it was a lot to decide to do it. It was a lot of information. It was very overwhelming, but she was able to navigate the shots and the appointments and the egg retrieval. And she's so thankful that she did that so that she still has that opportunity to have a possible genetic child in the future, especially since she can't carry one. Another barrier that I often get told is that they don't want cancer patients, especially breast cancer, undergoing egg freezing or IVF because they're afraid the high estrogen levels will upstage their disease. And this is not true. So we wouldn't be doing something that's going to harm you more. I think that's the basic number one principle here. But number two, we also have special protocols. We can start your cycle right away. And we can use certain medications in order to prevent your estrogen levels from getting extra high. So very often we add letrozole in with a cycle. That way it can drop your estrogen level down lower so that it doesn't stimulate any cells if you have an estrogen-dependent tumor. We also will use different protocol types to decrease the risk of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome because you need to start chemo tomorrow. You don't need to be in the hospital with OHSS. So having a care team that understands the challenges you face as a cancer patient, that is essential. The stats for breast cancer are pretty alarming. Overall, about half a million women of reproductive age are diagnosed with cancer every year. About 11,000 of those are breast cancer. Breast cancer in women who are under the age of 45 has about an 85 to 90% five-year survival rate. So that's overall sounds pretty good, but let's just think. Five-year survival rate. That means being alive five years after your diagnosis. 10 to 15% of women won't be. In order to help support women the most, we need a couple things. We need to mandate coverage for fertility preservation, for insurance policies, for patients who have a cancer diagnosis. I think that is really clear cut. We need to increase referrals into reproductive endocrinologists when patients get a cancer diagnosis, regardless of race, ethnicity, type of cancer, money that you make. These patients deserve to sit in front of a fertility doctor and have their choices laid out to them. Number three, 
we need more awareness as far as screening goes. So understanding your own breasts, touching them, feeling for lumps, that's important. And then knowing when you should start getting mammograms or potentially ultrasounds or MRIs based on your risk profile. That means you have to have a doctor. You have to have a primary care doctor who understands you and your history and has a good cancer screening strategy. Mammograms, ultrasounds, these things are for early diagnosis. Earlier detection and diagnosis is going to improve your survival. However, that doesn't mean that that's prevention. So what can you do to prevent cancer? The best things you can do are the things that are good for your body overall. So that means that having a healthy lifestyle, so being at a healthy weight, that is going to lower your risk of cancer. Being physically active, you need 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week. So you need to do that. That's a lot. Do the math. What do you need to do to achieve that? You need to avoid or limit alcohol. Alcohol increases the risk of breast cancer. It is best not to drink alcohol. For women who do drink, they should have no more than one alcoholic drink a day. One alcoholic drink is 12 ounces of beer, 5 ounces of wine, or 1.5 ounces of hard liquor. And I'm guilty of drinking a lot of wine, especially during hard times like a coronavirus pandemic or a new practice change and using that as a stress relief mechanism. And I've stopped and we've transitioned to having alcohol more sparingly. And I really think that we've normalized drinking behavior in our culture. That's an entirely different podcast. But understanding that the American Cancer Society has said that drinking alcohol increases the risk of breast cancer. There's also a link between breast cancer and diet. Studies on diet are always harder, but a diet that is high in vegetables, fruit, calcium-rich products, lower in red and processed meats will lower the risk of cancer. Breastfeeding is also protective, so if you have kids and you can, breastfeeding for at least several months can also be helpful for you. And using hormone therapy after menopause may increase your risk, and so you need to understand what all your options are, are you at high risk, and what that means for you. If you carry a genetic cancer syndrome, especially BRCA1 or 2, you need to talk to a genetic counselor. One of my best friends is a genetic counselor, and I cannot stress this enough. You need to understand how severe your risk is, and you need a close observation plan. You may need medications to lower your risk. You may need preventative or prophylactic surgery. That could mean mastectomy. It also could mean removing your ovaries. You need a good plan for you. When should you have your kids? Should you freeze your eggs? What does it mean? Our genetic counselors are really amazing at going into huge detail and truly giving you the best understanding of your potential risk and what options you have. The last thing I want to say is I asked Savannah what we should do to help people who get a cancer diagnosis. And she said, you need to show up, not ask what to do. Hey, how can I help? What do you need? Because that puts the burden on the cancer patient. You simply need to do. You need to tell and do. I'm going to bring you dinner. I'm going to pick up the kids. I'm going to go to this appointment with you. I blocked out this day to do your grocery shopping. I don't know, but you need to find a way to show up if you really want to support and at least not put the burden on the cancer patient. Savannah froze her eggs. She's done such fabulous things. She's been an advocate for young women who have metastatic breast cancer. She has modeled intimate lingerie for women who have had their entire bodies change after going through cancer. And she truly is a living symbol of hope. I am so proud of her. I'm so honored to have played a role in her story. And I'm so fortunate that she's allowed me to share some of her story here. 
more than anything, she wants you to know that you're not alone. And she wants you to know that it is okay to advocate for yourself, change doctors, demand somebody take you seriously if you have questions or concerns. And again, you can see her full story on the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford, MD. It is Savannah Story 24 with breast cancer. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Natalie Crawford, MD. Thank you guys so much. Bye.